Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're with you in the uh, Kintec studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. So, uh... Another tough night at Rogers Arena. <laughs> a lot of tough nights for the paying customers at the Raj. At the Raj? Is that what we're calling it? No, not really. Just decided okay. to change it up a little bit. I decided to do something different than, you know, the usual. Yeah. At least spice it up. The Canucks aren't spicing it up. <laughs> we I can mean, try to spice it up. Are they spicing it up, though? Not really. No? No. Is or being not. a bottom 10 team spicing it up? Well, if you want Connor Bedard. Yeah. You got a chance. You're in the mix. Chip in a chair. They got a chance now, man. They do. They're, they they really do. So what's the best way to uh, increase your chips at the table for, for Connor? Connor Bedard? Well, clearly moving a couple of players, yep. for sure. But, but I do have a question, though. Okay. Considering how they're playing mm-hmm. and how listless and lost they look. Yeah. Should they do anything? <laughs> So I, I've been kind of feeling this for a while now. Um, there's a lot of uh, anxiousness in the market amongst mm-hmm. the fan base about yeah. what's happening, what the next step is. And potentially that's even now filtered to the team as they sort of lie in this limbo where they're clearly not good enough. And you sort of see a doomsday ahead where a lot of the players on the roster are probably going to get moved, or at least a few of them over the next couple of months. Yeah. But I'm not sure what people are so anxious about. I mean, it's it's obvious what this team is trying to do now, Sat. It's obvious which direction they've taken for this season. It's obvious that the management group is punting mm. on this season for me. If they would have wanted to save the season, let's say, would they not have changed the coach like last month? Would they not have tried to save the season when it was still salvageable not at this point now where you're closest to the bottom five teams in the league than you are to the second wild card spot in the western conference i mean they would have traded players by now if they could but there's no space around the league and they don't other than their unrestricted free agents there's just not a lot of interest in the players that they have on offer would you prefer they take a loss on trades to get things going Nobody wants that. They came into this year with a slightly better roster and a coach they still weren't convinced of. And guess what? Coach hasn't done what they wanted and what they challenged him to do. So here they are today. Yeah, and I mean, why put out the fire right now? Yeah. When you want, if you wanted to make a change, the time to make the change is really the 20-game mark. Sort of like last year. It was 25 games. Too late. Yeah, 25 games was too late. They ran out of runway. Yeah, I mean, they missed the playoffs by six points. Yeah. So it was too late. You were too far gone last year. It's clearly... I mean, they made a good run, the best that you could expect from that team, and he still came up six points short of a playoff spot, which means you should have made that change earlier if you really wanted to make the playoffs or at least had a good chance of doing so. So this year, you knew this, having seen what happened last year, that if you wanted to salvage the season, that change should have happened earlier. It didn't happen. Yeah. So now that you're this far gone, I, I don't think they they should be throwing any lifelines out. 
The only thing you should be doing here is maximizing your value on the Bo Horvat trade you're looking to make and the Luke Shen trade you're looking to make. And whatever else comes along that you can make, which we, we talked about, is like, obviously, you, you see what you can do here with guys like Besser and Garland and so on. And what decision you end up making ultimately on Andre Kuzmenko. But I think the two players you have to move at this point are is Ho Bo and Luke Shen. You got to make those two trades. Everything else, I'm not quite sure it's going to happen. And if you move Boudreaux out or get rid of Boudreaux at this point, you probably get a bump. Why would you want a coach's bump at this yeah. stage? Like considering how things are going, like this team's not making the playoffs. No. It's not happening. No. They have the same amount of points at this stage as they did last season. Yeah. And last year, they were trending in the right direction. They were playing better hockey. They were on an eight-game win streak or something like that. Well, they had lost, you know, so they were 16, 15, and three at the 34-game mark. Then they lost a couple of games and were just under 500, the same spot the Canucks were in, you know, today. So they did get over 500 and then slightly back, kind of the same spot they were in. The difference, though, is when you kind of pop the hood and look under to see how things are connecting, it was more functional than what we're seeing this year. Dan. They're worst in every single category you can imagine. Yeah, this season compared to the fifty-seven games. I'm not even counting the other 25. than goals scored. Other than goals scored, but outside of other than like in in terms of like metrics under the hood, there isn't a single metric that's that outside of goals that there isn't a single metric you can point to that's actually better. Everything is worse, and I'm not including the twenty-five games to, to start the season. I'm just looking at the fifty-seven games. Of last year compared to the 37 games so far this season. So you're telling me with a better roster, they're getting worse results. Yes. And their process is significantly worse. Dan, last year, when I looked at this team, in terms of expected goals against, and, you know, in terms of expected goals against and high danger chances against, yeah. they were 19th in the league okay. in what they were giving up. That was up last the, season. Last season. Under so Boudreaux. just below league average. Yeah, just below league average. This year... And expected goals against, they're 30th. And high danger chances against per 60, they're 29th. Yikes. So defensively, so the biggest the biggest swing is the one that people have been pointing to. And we'll have fun with this and overrated, underrated. Goaltending. Last year at 5-on-5, five five, the Canucks had the second best save percentage. This season, they have the second worst. But somehow they've created an even worse environment for the goaltenders. Yeah, significantly worse environment. Just by these shot metrics. And we'll talk to Kevin Woodley and get a different outlook on and see what he has to say about some of this stuff and what he's seeing and some of the metrics from uh, Clear Sights Analytics and, and what they have to offer. I would wager that he would say it's similar to last year, if not worse than last year as well. Yeah. But defensively, but also in terms of creation, Dan, like they're getting more goals, but their expected goals for last year were better than they are this season. They were creating more. They were creating more. Like they were just a better, they had a better. So when people talk about this team this year, the only difference is they're not getting saves. BS. There are a lot other things that are going significantly worse than they were going last year under Boudreaux. So it's uh, it's not just that you know Thatcher Demko was going through a a bit of a spell. He was also under significantly more duress even than last year. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of my point. You can put it on the roster all you want, and it's fair to a certain extent with the roster because we all know the roster is flawed. But this is more than just the roster. It's also on the coach, who hasn't got buy-in at any level from this group. Any team they play, especially these last three games, which they've all lost. Perfect examples. The Islanders last night. You can't sit here and tell me, with a straight face, Mm. that the Islanders are a significantly more talented team than the Vancouver Canucks. No, but they're maybe a better put-together team than Vancouver is. Fair. But they're also a more structured team than the Vancouver Canucks. More functional. But yeah, absolutely. I mean... Boudreaux can't escape 
blame this season. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean that he hasn't been put into a tough spot and that there wasn't a lot of confidence shown in him and that the players haven't let him down. But Two things can be doing... true at the same time, Sat. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Multiple <laughs> things can be true at the same time. And for Boudreaux this year, like what is working? Hmm. And what did he do? La- what did he do last night? He essentially said, "I care about winning. These guys don't." And when people get mad at me, and especially earlier this, remember in the preseason, I was I kept talking about details. These guys, they're not being serious enough. I need them to be more serious. People are like, "Why are you overreacting to preseason? What are you talking about? These guys are professional. Of course they care. Of course they want to win. Oh, it's early in the year. They're just working their way into it. You guys are overreacting." I'm like, "No, man. I'm telling you, like, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark here. Like, there's something <laughs> wrong here. Like, there's this is not correct. This is not right." And Boudreaux finally admitted it and said, these guys don't care enough. They don't have enough heart. That's essentially what he said last night. Yep. And that does fall on the players. But also, like, what have you been able to do to get the most out of these guys? And it's hard to answer that question as well. There's a lot happening all at once here in Vancouver. And I think the the idea that changes are coming, that... You know, your captain is likely to get traded in the next little while. You've had this cloud. A new front office has come in, and they've said a lot of things, but they haven't done a lot of things. They've talked about not loving this roster. They haven't done a lot to change the roster just yet. Mm-hmm. So all of this is, is sort of hovering over like a dark cloud on top of this team all year long. And that shouldn't be an excuse for these guys to be playing the way that they are and significantly underperforming what their true talent level is but it's still part of the conversation and I wonder if they're just waiting for that shoe to drop now sat with this team because it's obvious something's not right and you know when I talk about management and you know how they feel about the coach and it's valid you know they they haven't really shown a lot of support for Bruce Boudreaux Rutherford essentially came out on after hours and told everybody you know, I I didn't know Bruce was, you know, locked in yeah. for another year as coach, but I figured that out afterwards. Um it, it's a terrible environment. At the same time, Bruce Boudreaux was essentially challenged at the end of last year to do certain things, and he hasn't lived up to any of those challenges. He hasn't, you know, he himself said, "Well, I'll just prove them wrong." And has he proven anybody wrong? No. So, it there's a lot of things that have underperformed. Bruce Boudreaux is included in that. And this team is now a bottom 10 team in the league because of it. And I don't see how they get out from the bottom 10 now. No, I mean, I really, based on the things we just mentioned, and Matt from Hope is asking, what about goaltending? With last year's goaltending, is this team significantly worse? With last year's goaltending, this team probably is obviously better. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're good enough to really be a playoff team, even given how much worse their entire process is. What are they, eight points back of uh, Colorado right now? Yeah, I mean, they're closer to the bottom five than they are to a playoff spot. And even so, let's say a couple points for goaltending or or whatever. But like I just mentioned, their process on the back end, or just overall with how they're playing, they have a bottom five overall net rating for how they play as a team. Yeah. What everything we're seeing from this team is that they're playing at a bottom five level. The thing that's bailing them out is Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat's goal scoring. Yeah. Those are the two things, right? Mm-hmm. You can add Kuzmenko and Mikheyev doing some good things as well, and some guys are contributing, of course, here and there. But it's really those two guys that have kept the Canucks around the 500 mark. Because if Bo's not scoring 28 goals at this stage, and Pettersson's not doing PD things, yeah. this team is probably looking at being right, right slightly above the Chicago's, Anaheim's, and... 
uh, the Arizona. Well, Arizona is actually playing, you know, decent. They're only a couple of four points. Arizona, back Vancouver. yeah, with a game in hand as well. So I mean, they could be right there with it. So we, everything we're seeing from this team as they're playing, Dan suggests unless they get superhuman efforts from Pedersen or Bo Horvat's goal scoring, they're going to lose and, and be on a bottom five track. There's no reason for you to believe that this roster is going to turn things around. All of the quality wins they have had this year. You can even poke holes in those. Yeah, if you if you want to be like it's it's being if you want to be that guy, but yeah, yeah, if you want to be pessimistic about it, and it's, it's not necessarily wrong. I the think Colorado win. Yeah, I think it's it can be somewhat disingenuous because we talk about how hard it is to win in general and going to Colorado, being on the road. That's but fair. yes, if you want to really, if you, if you want to be that guy. And really not be that wrong about it. You can do this, right? Like I wouldn't go that far because I feel like it's. I don't think I feel like it's really fair. Yeah. But it's a great take because <laughs> it'll get people wound up, and you're not really wrong. Well, this team constantly we hear players and the coach talk about. Oh, that win in Colorado, that win in Vegas. You know that win in Colorado. It was a, a fraction of what that Colorado Avalanche team actually is. No Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. We know all the injuries they went through. Totally fair. Uh, they they played well. They beat that team. Good for them. Go to they talk about that Vegas win five one. It was five nothing after two periods. They essentially throttled them, scored a bunch of power play goals. Vegas never really looked like they were all that no. into it, and they were playing on the second half of a back to back. I honestly think the best win they've had all season was that game just before the Christmas break, the Edmonton game. Better than the Pittsburgh win earlier yeah. in the year. Like I, it was yeah, the best win they've the, had all season. The three centers, yeah, the three centers played. all worked. They they were the better team for the final 40 minutes of that game. That was, for me, their best win of the season. But other than that, you know, we're talking about wins over who? San Jose, Anaheim, uh, needing overtime and shootouts to beat Arizona and Montreal and all these teams. I mean, come on. You know, like we're talking about a very minuscule amount of quality wins that we've seen from this team this year. And that's why I say when you, the fan, and everybody else is yelling at each other like, we see this. Don't they see that this team isn't good enough? I can't believe that this front office sees something differently than we see on where this team should be headed. And this team should be headed towards this being a lost season, and they need to lose as many games as possible to increase their chances at maybe not, sure, getting the top pick, but that's you know likely to be between a 5 and 8% chance no matter what they do. But increase your chances of getting a top 5 pick, right? Somehow, some way, at least give yourself that sort of a chance. So then the question becomes, how do you do that? And the biggest piece is Bo Horvat sat. But do you expedite a Bo Horvat trade? Do you take the best offer available to you in the next couple of weeks to make sure that he's off the books? That you make that trade, you get some assets. He's not helping you win games. And you don't have to worry about him getting injured at any time before the deadline. Or do you wait to maximize and potentially get the best possible trade for Bo Horvat? I still think you have to get the best value for Bo Horvat. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, okay, I totally understand. You want to get a high draft pick for sure. But you still behold into lottery luck and things a fall in your way. high draft pick is, is really just... Well, you're not getting a high draft pick from another team. No, I'm talking about in terms of losing. Like if you're yeah. trading Bo today and you're like, you take less of a return today to trade Bo for lottery luck. It's okay. It's, it's a fair enough point. I don't think the potential loss in value on the Bo Horvat return is worth 
the few percentage point difference mm-hmm. in lottery luck that you're looking for for a team that's already looking to finish in the bottom 10, you know? So if the difference of trading Bull Horvat for a first round pick and a B-plus prospect and trading Bull Horvat for a really good young player yeah. is trading him today and waiting to the deadline, I wait to see if you can get that premium asset back in return still. Because you still need that. I mean, beyond just getting Bedard in a high draft pick this year, this team needs more. Everyone everyone agrees. This team needs more, yeah. right? They need more than just one high draft pick this year yeah. and just a first-round pick. Everybody knows it. They need Everybody more than, can see it. They need more than just cap space. Yeah. So if, if the Canucks are punting on value to get a high draft pick this year, but not getting that difference-making prospect back and returning any sort of a trade, and you don't land the top five pick and end up picking sixth or whatever... That's mis- That's, you know... Not making the most of your best valued asset. So what are we looking at all of a sudden? Then it's like, okay, well, you have some cap space, but you still don't have enough difference-making players. It's still going to take longer. You still, I agree, you need cap space. Yeah. You, you need draft picks. But you also need a high draft pick this year. We also need more players back in return. Who are your top four defensemen? Karin Bedard, does he play on the right side on the defense? No. <laughs> you still need that, right? Yeah. You were the only one uh, making the salient point about Ethan Bear. Still... Uh... Still makes some odd decisions Yes, here and there, and we saw that last night. Now, with the new draft lottery, um, you know, it's it's tougher to move inside uh, the top three from outside of that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get essentially like, what, a 16-ish percent chance if you finish fifth or sixth uh, to end up with a top three selection because you can't move down further than two spots. So last year, Buffalo had the best odds, and they ended up winning it. Then it was Anaheim and Seattle who flip-flopped at two and three. But, you know, prior to this change, you know, we saw a lot of teams jump up into the top three, Sat, right? 2017, none of the bottom four teams ended up selecting in the top three of the draft. Vancouver was obviously second with lottery odds and ended up selecting fifth where they got Elias Pettersson in 2017. So, you know, the draft lottery, it's not doing you a lot of favors in how you are able to move up in the draft now, because you can move up to one or two. Other than that, you're dropping a spot or your stand put. That's how it works now. So increasing your percentage chance, it helps, but it's more about getting into the top five than it is anything else. They still have to maximize a Bo Horvat deal. And I think it's obvious where this is headed. We've talked about it. They probably, or they will, as you say, still try to keep Bo in Vancouver. Well, they'll they'll take one more run at it. Like yeah. I've been saying all along, and uh, Rager says, you guys said the same thing about Miller getting the top-end prospect, and, then, and that backed him into signing him. I'm not saying keep Bo. I'm saying I'd rather wait to trade him at the deadline Mm-hmm. If you're not getting what you're wanting today, because you can still get what you want, what they're offering today at the deadline. Like yeah. if the first, and a, like I'm saying trade it no matter what. Yeah. I'm not saying keep Bo or like, you know, that backs him to signing him. But to your point, it's about getting that one asset back in return, or at least that one higher in asset, because it's not going to increase your lottery luck enough to make that switch today as opposed to making it in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, or whatever it is. So the question is, from the teams that are interested, potentially, or could be looking at acquiring yeah. Bo Horvat, what are some things that you that could be on the table, potentially, or at least that you would like to see happen? So what's the, the one prospect? What's that one premium asset that would make the Canucks 
intrigued, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, so I picked out a few names from some teams that uh, have at least been linked to Bo or teams that could be buyers at the deadline. A team that's been often linked to Bo, the Boston Bruins. Their number one prospect would be a Vancouver Giant, former Vancouver Giant, Fabian Lysel, who just went pointless at the World Junior Championship, but has been uh, around a point a game in the AHL so far this year. Would Fabian Lysel be a piece that interests the Vancouver Canucks in a Bo Horvat deal? I think it would interest them. I just don't know if he is the guy that they'd want more than anything else. Wing prospect. So it would be a nice package, but not the package. Yeah, it's a good player, and yeah. you'd probably take it still. And, you know, if that's the best offer on the table, and you'd be happy about getting a difference-making type of prospect. But if you had your way, I don't think it's the number one of the options. Um, all right, so that's from the Boston Bruins. The Colorado Avalanche, who lost Nazem Kadri last year, haven't been able to replace him are right now on the bubble of the playoffs, but uh, you know could look like a team that wouldn't hurt to add a center in their top six. Bowen Byram, would that be a piece that interests the Canucks? Absolutely. I think, though, for Bowen Byram, I don't know if Vancouver, I don't know if Vancouver can get Byram just for a Bo Horvat straight up. Wow. I wonder if that would have to be, because of how he's been used this year, how, how they view him, how good he is, and premium young defenseman even though he is a left side defenseman he's still a massive considered a massive premium type of prospect or young player I don't know if you can get him from Bo straight up but of course I mean I think if, if Colorado, Colorado came to Vancouver and said Bo for Bo for Bo I don't think Vancouver <laughs> says no I don't think they hesitate um that would be uh, a really nice piece to get uh Carolina Seth Jarvis or would it be a Seth Jarvis Scott Morrow package Something to that effect. I think that's interesting. It yeah. depends on if you view Jarvis as a winger or, or a centerman. Yeah. But if you view him as a center, a young player, well, even he, as a winger, Scott Morrow would be a right shot D. Yeah, he'd you know? be a. Yeah, he'd be. A, yeah, he would be. But I think Jarvis as that one piece. Yeah. I mean, you can talk yourself into Jarvis being that one piece too, depending on how you view him. But I think that's something that's obviously you can plug into your lineup. And if you do believe he's a centerman, that can do a lot of different things for you. He's a gritty little player, too, and he has some skill. There's, there's a lot of upside to set Jarvis's game. It plugs in right away, and yeah. maybe that's a situation you could use Miller in, you know, mm-hmm. with his uh, two-way ability. Yeah. Uh, two-positional ability, I think is uh, how, how Jim Rutherford put it. Uh, Topi Nimala with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right shot D was mm-hmm. their first-round pick in 2020 and uh, has been pretty impressive since being drafted. He kind of fits. It depends on how the organization views him. Like, do yeah. they view him as a top shelf right hand defenseman? If yeah, if so, then absolutely. But he fits the mold, right? Yep. Like he he's a player the the Leafs don't want to trade though. It's Nyes and Nimala that the Leafs really want to hang on. To. Hang, yeah, and it's it's not really a surprise, especially when you look at the positions that they play, yeah. especially right handy, right? But I think he would fit the type. He 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 would fit the mold. So, those are all really interesting names. Yes. Yeah. I've left the most interesting one for last. The New Jersey Devils, who could be big-time contenders this year, big-time buyers this year at the deadline. Simone Nemec. Mm -hmm. Not even sure if that's a realistic name. He was just the second overall pick. But I think that one is, I mean, it's almost an obvious yes from the Canucks' perspective, I would think, if Simone Nemec was put on the table for a Bo Horvat trade. I believe so. 
I think so. I think that's, I mean, you're talking about second overall pick. Yeah. Now, would New Jersey even do that? I mean, that would probably have to hinge. Again, I think a lot of these trades hinge on a couple of things. One, how desperately those teams would want a Bo Horvat and whether their interest is contingent on a contract extension. And I think if you're looking at a Bo and Byram, as much as Colorado's looking to win this year, I think they probably look at something and saying, does this make sense beyond this year? Because we're not just moving a first round pick and, and something. We're moving like a legitimate core piece defenseman here. You know, like our edge as a team, of course, is having Nathan McKinnon and Ranton and Landeskog up front, but really it's that defense. Yeah. And Byram is part of that defense. That's such a difference maker. So if you're taking something like that away, it has to be more than a rental, I think. That's why I'm skeptical ultimately on Bowen Byram unless Vancouver would make it worthwhile for Colorado yeah. to do something like that. So I think a lot of this is contingent and maybe on New Jersey would be contingent on a contract extension. Or something along those lines. Uh, some of those may be a little too pie in the sky, but uh, trying to give you at least a feel of the type of asset the Canucks would want when Precisely. they trade Bo Horvat. Now, I know others, I mean, I know a lot of Canucks fans, you know, have PTSD over what happened in the past. And then, yep. you know, somebody texted in and said, what about the Ham Hughes debacle? What if they don't get the same offers at the deadline? I'm not suggesting that they should do something reckless and not get the asset they need. What I'm saying is today is January 4th. It's two months to the deadline. If you're not getting the best, if you're not getting the type of offer you think you could get for Bo today, why make the trade today? And I'm not saying wait until the last second of the deadline and then panic into taking whatever you can and miss the boat. You should have a good gauge of what the trade market's going to be like. Yeah. The best offers for Bo Horvat are probably going to come a month out from the deadline, close to two weeks of deadline. Like between a month to the deadline, between four to two weeks until the deadline, and a week to the deadline, that kind of stretch is where your best offers come in. I'm saying wait until the time you get the best offers to move Bo Horvat. And that's what I'm saying. And I'm not <laughs> saying miss the window and do yeah. something stupid and hold on to it. I'm just saying if, that, if, you're, if you think you can get one of those types of prospects, if that's actually on the table for you, wait to see if you can get that around the deadline. And if you can't, then yeah, get the first, get the second, get the whatever you have to get to make the trade. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Kevin Woodley, Ingold Magazine joins us next on Canuck Central. Talking about trading to 50 goals. We're in the Kid Tech Studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Kid Tech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh, in the break, which you may or may not have heard, we were uh, talking about Bo Horvat, 52 goals <laughs> in 82 games. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Yeah. Under Boudreaux. With Bruce Boudreau now, Bo Horvat's played 82 games, and he has 52 goals in those games. And 81 points. So Point per game and a 50-goal score. Yeah. And we're talking about trading a 50-goal score point-a-game center. It's kind of crazy. Sign of the times, man. Pending UFA, team has to make moves. Team's got to do something. Because it's not great right now in Vancouver, as we know. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, in Goal Magazine and writing for the uh, writing at NHL.com, it's Kevin Woodley. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. I wasn't in Vancouver for like the last, I don't know, 
I guess seven of the last eight days, and after yesterday, I regretted coming back. <laughs> At least you got, you finally did get to your destination, though. I'm glad you got a good weekend there. Yes, I did. I did. A couple days short of what it should be. Yes. No thanks, West, yet. But um, we got there. I was actually worried you wouldn't get out there at one point. Like I was, I saw you on on Twitter, and and it, like it, it pained me to see you in the distress you were in because I know like how 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 badly you wanted to get out there with the family and everything, and and just like literally the day you're supposed to go, a massive snowstorm hits, and you got to deal with these airlines. And yeah, the airlines they're they're very nice in these situations. <laughs> hey, 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 Kevin. I don't know. I still haven't heard back from the one that canceled my flight. I did get a call. Uh, I mean, first world problems, right? But yeah. I did get a call from the airline from WestJet like four days into actually getting there with another airline telling me that my flight had been canceled just to confirm that <laughs> if I didn't know already. So I'm sure, you know, within the month, they might actually refund me that money. So, hey, listen, like I said, I got there like three in the morning, Christmas morning, never missed a Christmas day with my kids. I didn't this time. So no complaints. I got to spend six days in Maui. Got to miss the Canucks for six days. So life is life is not bad. I should uh, stop complaining now. Like you said, these are this is the definition of first world problems. Having trouble getting to Maui. So um, yeah, it was a great Christmas and a great New Year. And now back to reality: the Vancouver Canucks and an inability to keep pucks out of their own net. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about that, and it's. Look, we know that this team has long had trouble defending. It has long uh, had uh, difficulties keeping opponents from the middle of the ice, and they've relied on, whether it was Markstrom or Demko, uh, a great goaltender, to save their bacon. But you now, Sat and I were going through some of the numbers, at least from the public data, and one thing that's pretty obvious is they're not just getting – worse goaltending than they were last year like they've also created a worse environment for their goaltenders from what it was last year they're the second worst team now in the national Mm -hmm. hockey league in terms of expected goals five on five off the rush we've talked about this we just talked we talked about this in the preseason when everyone was saying i don't worry about the poor preseason what were the two things that i kept hammering on the continuation of rush chances against and the inability to take care of the front of the net. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care whether it was preseason or not. Those were two things that if they continued in the regular season, were going to be a problem. 31st guys. They're the second worst team in the national hockey league in terms of what they give up off the rush five on five. Like that's not good. And it's not like they're trading chances to, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. They're 26th in expected goals for off the rush via uh, the numbers at ClearSight Analytics. So they're not trading rush chances. Mm-hmm. They're not even creating them. They actually outscore what they generate because of the quality of their forwards and the quality of their shooting. Um, but they're not actually, like, it's not like they're just going, like, toe-to-toe and going end-to-end and trading chances. They're just not generating, and they're giving up at the second. Like, I, like that's flabbergasting to me yeah. that you can be as bad as you were defensively last year and actually get worse. And the one thing that I will say, whether it's public or even the private data, I don't think it does justice to some of these chances. Because it doesn't measure, two things it doesn't measure. Doesn't, well, and two things, you know, one of them will never be able to measure. That's what's within the system and what's outside of the system. In other words, is what you're giving up what the goaltender expects you to do? Um, And I think there are breakdowns within the system where it's like the goalie can't even trust what's in front of him because you can't trust the people in front of you to be where they're supposed to be and do the job they're supposed to do. The second part, and this one's more obvious to the eye test, 
and can maybe in some ways at some point be measured, but it's not currently by any company that I know of, including ClearSight Analytics, and that's time mm-hmm. and space. And the types of chances we're talking about, whether it's Barzell last night or Sezikis last night or some of the chances we're seeing, like, go watch it. I know not everybody has this privilege, but if, the, if you ever get the opportunity to, go watch an NHL practice and watch the first 10, 15 minutes where they're just doing, you know, rush drills, quite often detrimental to goaltending. But that's a conversation for another day where these teams yeah. just warm up by going end-to-end I don't care if you're on the first line or the fourth line. If you get to walk into the middle of the ice and walk into point blank chances, these guys are tickling the bar. They're bar down. They're cross, you know, crossbar post seaming in. Like you give skill players in the NHL, not even just the skill players. You get players in the NHL time and space. They bury. And the types of chances we're seeing where guys are just like walking in, head up holding, waiting, looking, picking spots, man, like none of these analytics measure that. And it seems to me, at least from watching, I don't see any other teams giving up the amount and degree of nobody's got this guy chances that we're seeing the Vancouver Canucks. And hey, listen, I don't watch all the other teams mm-hmm. and because nobody can measure it, I can't compare it. But God, it just feels like it's, it's, it's grade A plus plus um, in terms of, all the factors that go into creating dangerous chances, lateral elements off the rush, all the things we can measure, and then you add the time and space that, you know, like I said, it doesn't matter what kind of shooter you're talking about, but quite often to quality shooters, Barzell, case in point. Um, there was a game there just before the break where, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, I think actually it was probably the, uh, the St. Louis game where like just standing at the dot, holding the puck, head up, look, 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 pick your spot and hit it. Man, you just you just can't give that up in the National Hockey League. You know the thing that gets me about all this is right now they're playing so poorly, Kevin, that if they make any changes, even if they're trading significant players off the team, they really have nowhere to go up but up because they're so bad they shouldn't be as bad as they are. Even if they had, you know, some lesser talent than they have so far, to what you mentioned, they shouldn't be last in the league. And these metrics we're talking about twenty fifth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, thirty second, thirty first. Like those are the numbers we're kind of looking at where the Canucks rank in all these types of metrics, whether they're public data or even the uh, the proprietary stuff that you have with, with clear size analytics. So as they're currently playing there's really no signs of this team getting it together as long as they keep going with what, they're, what they have going on right now. Like Because if they're not getting goals from Bo Horvat and Elias Patterson, they're not winning hockey games. Yeah, no, and, and like, it's just, yeah, it's hard to see. It's, it really is hard to see a path. It's hard to believe it's the same team that went on the run it went on last year for the most part, and I know there have been changes. Um, it's just, you know, we, you know, I know a lot of people were on the block shots last night because there was only three. Um, you know, but that's, you know, like that, it jumps off the page, but, but again, that's another thing we've been talking about guys getting in lanes, but not, not even being in lanes, doing nothing, but taking away sight lines. And that's where, you know, like in terms of where they are and how you improve from here, like that's where I think the conversations about making wholesale changes, um, you know, have a ton of merit beyond, beyond all these measurables is, you need to have, you need to have, not everybody has to have it. Not every guy on the team needs to play this way, but you have to have it in your DNA at some level to compete, to be willing to eat a puck, to be in the, not just be in the right lane, but actually take away 
the right lane when you are there defensively. Like that has to be in your DNA at some level. And, you know, I, I talk about it with teams that have it coaching them. Like I, I like the Dallas stars this year um, with the coaching change because they'd create more offense uh, under DeBoer more likely as he opens things up. And yet they still have the ability because of all those years under bonus where things were stricter defensively, like that's in their DNA as a group to defend because if you didn't, you didn't play for him. And there's just, you know, there's just not enough of that in this group. And so to your point about changing things up and there's only one way to go and that's up. Like even if the names are lesser, even if mm-hmm. um, the upside isn't as bright, not as heralded, uh, I do wonder if they'd have better results yep. um, just if they had more guys competing. Um, not just, you know, not just defensively, but all over the ice in the neutral zone, not getting away with the types of mistakes they're making. Not, you know, I guess it's funny. We were talking up in the press box, like, you know, and, and I was away for the JT Miller thing and, and the Colin Delia thing, but like, Remember the speech that Stan Smeal gave when the last time they made wholesale changes? Yeah. About accountability, about not pointing fingers. About, like, where did that go? Like, it just seems to be completely gone. And that accountability, you know, for defending, for being in lanes, for being in the right lane, for it, it's just, it's completely disappeared. And I don't think at this point, you know, that it's just, it's just the players. Like, when I look at the way that was handled, like, um, making excuses for it, saying that other people are, are overdoing, uh, are, are overstating it, like apologizing essentially or coming to the defense of a player who should have been accountable for that action. Um, that's like, like to me, that's sort of the opposite of everything that Stan went into that room and talked about uh, hard to believe just about 13 months ago. So uh, I take it you didn't love seeing JT do what he did in that moment. No, no, no. And I didn't love the reaction. Um, you know, like talk to enough goalies around the league since that. And, you know, obviously I may have been hiding in Hawaii, but uh, you couldn't avoid that one. The phone lit up after that incident. And so talk to enough people around the league about like, like that's just not his call to make, like forget how publicly he did it. That's not his, he doesn't pull the goalie coach does. Um, and so again, to me, it wasn't just like, if you come out known and apologize for it, um, you know, as I'm sure he would have had to within, if not within the room, then certainly to, to Colin Delia and, and owning that to me, um, again, there's, there's that accountability, but just the whole, Hey, well, you know, it's just the media's fault. They're making too much of it. Yeah. I talked to enough people that, that, you know, sort of called it what it was that, it, it, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just the media overreacting. And for sure, he's become, you know, a hot button guy. Like every mistake is highlighted on Twitter. Every time he, sh- you know, he turns the puck over and then gets mad but doesn't back check. It's all over social media. And I saw Hockey Night picked it up on Saturday. And so, um, you know, he's a flashpoint guy for this team right now because of the contract and because the decision to sign him now appears like, you know, it'll cost you the ability to sign Bo Horvat for all those reasons. I understand why there's pushback on the spotlight being as bright as it is on him. Sometimes it is. Um, but in this case, like, I, I just think that, you know, how hard would it have been? How much, like, how easy would it have been to just own it? Like, how much would that have bought you in this market in terms of showing that accountability publicly mm-hmm. rather than just getting, you know, not to go Jim Matheson on it, but pissy about it? 
you, you know, I mean, I think all those things about JT, as we talked about over the past, uh, you know, week or so now, over the course of the weekend as well, I think all that stuff is fair on him. Now, I did want to get your take on uh, goaltending um, because I threw this out and overrated, underrated, because there's been a lot of takes about how bad Canucks goaltending has been with Thatcher Demko being out and how, you know, obviously he, was, he wasn't was playing his best hockey earlier this season. What, what, How do you evaluate the goaltending that we've seen from Spencer Martin and Colin Delia? Like, overall... Is it below average what we're seeing? Dealey is actually four and a half percent above expected. Yeah, right now, he was which, really good. Which, yeah, yeah, in a, in a large sample. I mean, sample's tiny right now. Yeah. So, um, but you know, in a large sample, that would put you, in, you know, put you top the league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Spencer, over time, um, his numbers have eroded, sort of down to where you know they're right down where Demko was in terms of mm-hmm. you know in this in the sixties minus one point eight percent. And I talked already about the quality they're giving up. I don't think even with all the factors that the the private models add in, I don't know that you can account for enough factors to truly judge how difficult this environment is. Uh, I put it to somebody, to another goalie coach, that you know there've been some wobbles, and the response was wouldn't matter if Andre Vasilevsky is in net for you behind that team, the way they're playing right now, you're going to have wobbles. So uh, I think it's a big ask uh, what, you know, what they're sort of asking him to do to behind this team right now. Um, And there have been some really good moments, especially, you know, like early in games, like even last night, like the two on one save on Parise, the rebound save as as uncontrolled as it may have looked um, the hard push to the right and the extension to, just to stop Parise on a rebound in the slot. Like they, they give them a chance to get out of the first period, one nothing. Um, but I just think that the mistakes that are being made in front of them, it's just too big. It's too big an ask for anyone. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, the numbers have come down. They're below expected um, for Spencer at this point. Uh, and, I, you know, like that is what it is. Um, I just think that it's just dependent on the goaltending at this point. This is what we said. This is what we said even when it was working, but they still didn't get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If you're building a team that relies on Vesna caliber goaltending to have a chance, not to be great, not to make the playoffs, but just to have a chance on a night-to-night basis, I'd suggest you haven't built a good team. And so when you lose the guy who was a Vesna candidate or he isn't living up to that early, and now you're leaning on a guy and, and asking him to do something he's never done at this level before – behind a team that's actually gotten worse defensively, like that's just a formula for disaster. So I've seen a lot of comments about, you know, high glove this and high glove that. Um, certainly there are times where, you know, I talked about this on, on, on the broadcast before, before I went away, right before Christmas in the cracking game. You know, if you watch that, that logo on his chest disappear, um, if he gets into too low of a crouch, it can take his hands away a little bit. Uh, and, and that's the tendency, right? The tendency mm-hmm when you're put in this spot is to try too hard to load up, to sort of spring load yourself rather than stay relaxed and, you know, get a little too tense, get a little too locked in. But even that said, like there are moments like that, but I don't, when I watch his plan a whole, like I don't see this is a massive problem. I just think the ask is too big right now um, in terms of what they're giving up, you know, and again, like if you require Vesna caliber goaltending to win on a night, you know, night in, night out basis. And what did we talk? What did we just talk about with Colin Delia since mm-hmm. he got in? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's played well. He would be, if his, these adjusted numbers were spread out over a year, he'd be the best goalie in the NHL. <laughs> like, that's what it takes behind this team. Yeah. That's not, that's just not, that's not sustainable. It's just not. Yeah. And they still lost that game to, to Winnipeg, as we know, um, where he was fantastic. Um, 
So on that note, then, you know, we know how Jim Rutherford and Patrick Aldean talked about wanting more structure and uh, sort of challenged Bruce Boudreau to bring that in over the course of the offseason. It obviously has not happened. You know, how much is on Bruce Boudreau for not being able to coach this into the team? How many coaches is this with the same group, the same core that have had the same problem? Yeah. Like, I just don't think, I don't think it's you know, like Oliver Ekman Larson, you know, is not going to be a shutdown fill lane, step in front of pucks, block shots, defensively. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's not in his DNA. That's not who he is. Um, it, it's really you know, outside of Luke Shen and Kyle Burroughs who can't get in the lineup. Like, look at the, you know, not, not to judge it just by shot blocks. Like, I judge it more by guys that get in the lane and they get out of the way. And they got too many of those on this team. I don't know that I don't know that defending is in the DNA of this group. Uh, I don't know how much of that is coaching and how much of that is just players. Like I think at a certain point, you just have to say it's what you've got uh, in terms of of the players. Like they they talked Brock mm-hmm. talked today uh, about being harder to play against, and they have moments where they, where they can play that way. But then as soon as things look good. They stop. They want it to be easy. They start expecting things to come easily, and things fall apart, whether it's within a game or from game to game. Um, their inability to sort of maintain that hard to play against, you know, like again, it just tells me that's just, that's just basically not in their DNA. No, I mean... Right? Like that's, yeah. that's just not who they are. And, you know, so what are you going to do? Like, you're going to bring mm-hmm. the Barry Trotz and crack the whip and, and start putting the guys who you know, who shrug their shoulders and go to the bench after turnovers that lead to odd man rushes and start just planting them on the bench. Like that's, you know, like we haven't seen that here. Um, I don't know that it would make a difference, um, but certainly the way things are going right now, what they're doing right now, and Bruce kind of hinted at this a little bit today in terms of holding guys accountable, maybe more um, for some of the mistakes that are made. Because uh, what, what they've done now, and I don't just mean this year, but for the last number of years, it isn't working. Like those, these guys aren't doing all those little things that we've talked about now for years and years, not getting done. Like this group isn't doing those things. That's not changing in front of us. And, and so either you bring in a hard ass and demand that it does, I guess, or you start changing the group. I think that, that those changes have to start happening, and you know we'll see ultimately how soon those changes do happen. Now, before we let you go, Thatcher Demko, uh, he could be on the Canucks five-game road trip, and you know he's itching to get back there on the ice. How do you see this uh, going, and when or when should he or could he get back on the ice, you think? Yeah, I'd heard that he was on this trip before Bruce spoke the other day or that he was hoping to be on this mm-hmm. trip. So that's, I mean, that's a good sign, but the fact he hasn't even been on the ice in pads yet, um, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting this to be anytime soon. I, I do think you have to be careful not to rush him back. And that's not from a, <laughs> that's not from a, um, drop as far as you can tank perspective, as I've heard other people on there talk about today. I, I just think that because this injury in some way, uh, maybe even indirectly in terms of favoring, um, you know, favoring a side in terms of some of his movement. And we talked about that sort of right around when the injury occurred. Like, you can't bring him back if that's still in his mind or in his play. And so you need to make sure that he is 100% comfortable and moving without any of those hiccups, without any of those hitches. And if not, bringing him back early 
like forget performance, forget getting back into the, you know, like um, that pipe dream, I think in terms of getting back into this playoff race, um, forget all of that. All you do is by bringing him back early, if you haven't fixed those things is increase the likelihood of recurrence and creating bigger problems that, you know, that could go beyond this year um, and, and, and jeopardize, you know, next season and, and maybe even beyond. So I think, you know, as long as it's all going to come down to how he feels, but also someone having, having an eye on how he's moving. And if there's sort of, if he's guarding, if he's protecting anything as he comes back and you see signs that that creeps into the way he moves on the ice, the way he initiates saves, some of that asymmetry we talked about before Christmas, then allowing him to sort of play through that or thinking that's okay, all you're doing in that case is, you know, probably running the risk of further injury down the road. And that's, you know, for, for everything that's happened this season, um, doing more damage to your, your number one goaltender long-term seems like a bad idea on top of it. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley. One of our favorites, and uh, we're lucky to have him here every Wednesday on uh, Canuck Central. Coming up next, overrated or underrated on a Canuck Central Wednesday.